Hello there and thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. I'm Daniel Charles and I'm the host of the YouTube channel Son of Chelsea where I upload daily videos about the club I love. On this feed are all my regular shows from Added Time, my weekly Q&A where I answer questions from my audience, Let's Talk Chelsea where I discuss the latest and biggest stories surrounding the club and my match review series The Rational Perspective plus the Every Other Saturday podcast where I speak to interesting guests about their love for Chelsea. It's all here and all free for you to enjoy. All the podcasts on this feed can be viewed in video format if you so wish on my channel. And if you'd be so kind to subscribe and like the videos, that would be greatly appreciated too. Also, one last thing. If you like what you hear, please rate and review the pod on your provider because that really helps too. But for now, thank you and up the Chelsea. Hello there, guys. What is going on? Son of Chelsea back here again for another episode of the Every Other Saturday podcast. Hope you're doing well and keeping safe. i uh, got another great Chelsea guest on, Dan McCarthy. I'm sure if you're active on Twitter you know of Dan uh, his work over the summer in terms of transfer news and Chelsea news in general uh, really grown his account so we speak about that but also um, life in America you know coaching in America you know he was a former player now full-time coach and I think that very much informs our discussion in relation to Chelsea and formation what is Chelsea's best formation I felt that was a really insightful discussion and Dan made some great points so I'm excited to share with you guys today but also we speak of more general things the season so far how Frank Lampard's doing Dan's expectations for the season and under Lampard, but also transfer talk, which uh, Dan McCarthy has become accustomed to on Twitter. We speak about Declan Rice, we speak about Dennis Zakaria, uh, we speak about Ethan Ampadu and Billy Gilmore, sort of the defensive midfield problem that we've all been speaking about recently in relation to Lampard's Chelsea. I hope you enjoy this discussion. If you do, please give the videos a like. Also, rate and review positively if listening on the podcast. But hope you enjoy. Let's get to the conversation. So, Dan, thank you so much for coming on the channel, mate. Great to have you on. Uh, once to speak to you for a while based on your account growing over the summer we'll get into that but currently life in America how is it coaching in America as well yeah it's great thanks for having me on again buddy um living in America is great suits me down to the ground kind of my personality and kind of how I move um California is great you can do everything here if you can drive two hours and go snowboard you can drive 20 minutes and go to the beach so um, it's really good and kind of being part of a community where we're trying to grow the game over here of football soccer as we call it here um, it's fantastic and you know life's just very easy for me here in terms of what I do and doing what I love and where I live very very lucky so many people think I'm American I'm not I am English born in London but yeah living in America is great and really enjoying the country. What's the, the culture of sort of football like? Because it has grown over time and I'm sure we could naturally link it to Christian Pulisic now in a Chelsea team. And, and I spoke to that with Alex Goldberg when I had him on the channel the other week. In terms of the growth of football, like you just mentioned there, what's in terms of being a football fan in England and sort of seeing the way we sort of digest football here compared to the way Americans do, what is the difference, at least from your perspective of that? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, Americans are all about entertainment over here. They're all about kind of points and goals and scores and the entertainment factor of it. And also the athletic side of the game, um, which is the old saying, right, that Americans are just athletes who can run fast and jump high, whereas the Europeans are maybe more tactical or maybe more knowledgeable of the game. That's kind of the biggest stereotypes and the biggest things we see. Um, that's, you know, if you talk to general Americans who don't watch soccer, they'll say they don't watch it because it's boring and it's only, you could be zero, zero or one, zero, and they don't believe in draws and ties. So that's kind of the biggest thing, but now that's kind of, they're starting to shift. The academies are now, you know, who you work with and work around are starting to shift their focus to producing talented players who are technically very good, tactically very good. 
And that's why the Pulisic's of this world, the Geo Reyners, obviously at Dortmund, are more celebrated now because they're a different breed of American player. And that's now starting to change. And you can really see that here in the players, even the I coach, the younger guys, and even the older teams I coach. You can really see the difference now. Do you think that's going to impact the American national team positively? Because they did have a, I think it was the 2014 World Cup. They had quite a decent year. And, and I felt then they were sort of moving forward. But uh, what was it? I don't know if it was, was it the last World Cup they, they didn't qualify for? You know, they had difficulty recently. And I think Pulisic was in the team then. Um, do you think we're now going to start to see maybe the US national team grow a little bit more because of that sort of development? Yeah, definitely. I think they're going to improve. I've always said it, and many of us over here, because a lot there is a lot of English guys over here coaching. Obviously, I'm friends with a lot of them, and we've all kind of seen the growth, and it's pretty rapid. And we've always said that the Americans have, you know, they have the facilities, they have the money, they have the size. If they put their focus into it, they could become dominant. Like if they really kind of get the, you know, the right minds. It's the minds that they need to kind of get right, the right people who know the game. But if they do that, then, yeah, the, the squad's already improved. It's going to improve, you know, and the more kids who leave America early and go to Europe, like the Rainers and the Pulisic again, and, you know, there's a few others, uh, obviously McKenney at Juventus and whatnot. As long as them guys keep doing that, the team's going to grow and they're going to get better and it's going to be exciting for America for sure. But not hopefully as good as England. The facilities, as you said, is just ridiculous. And you think if they get it right in terms of, as they call soccer, you think there could be so much talent there. There could be so much development, so much investment. But America is such a big country and there's so many other sports uh, sort of fighting for relevance there as well. But the other thing I want to talk to you about, and we'll get back to sort of your coaching background in relation to Chelsea, because I think that's an interesting discussion to have. Um, your growth over the summer in terms of your Twitter account has been amazing, really, in terms of the transfer window. And I think for a lot of us, the, the Chelsea transfer window did a lot of good for sort of the online community uh, based on the excitement. Um Sort of yeah. reporting on Chelsea news and, and having that insight and information, is that something you've always wanted to do in terms of reporting on Chelsea? It's a good question. Uh, probably not, I'll be honest. Probably not. Um, you know, never, journalist has never been like my ultimate goal and I don't consider myself a journalist. And when people call me it or an ITK, I'm like, no, 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 no. Just a, a lucky guy who's connected to some people in the club, about the club. Um, so never been like a dream or something. It was never really a goal of mine. I joined... Twitter a long time ago, maybe as many people did in the normal world of Twitter. And I didn't even know what Twitter was. And then a couple of years ago, kind of just found my way, like many of us do, I guess, find my way in it, kind of connected with some good people. Um, and then I obviously did a Chelsea Echo a few years ago with Simon back in the good old days. And, you know, me and Simon grew up a good relationship and he was obviously very connected. Um, and I always had the same connections I've always had now, kind of from when I played and who I know around the club and whatever but I never kind of shared the information. Uh, I just never put it on my Twitter. I kind of just kept it to myself or shared it with people who I knew and respected. Uh, and then Simon was always kind of in the ear saying, Dan, you should make something of this. You should use this. And I was like, I was kind of just giving him stuff for the echo. And then I took a break for a while, for a few months. I kind of came off football Twitter because I got busy with coaching. And then when I came back, Simon, we reconnected again. And he kind of said like, maybe it'll be a good thing to kind of get your account going again. And you should try it and see how it goes. I was like, and as you said, there, it's been a massive change and people don't realise how big a change it is. It's kind of, you kind of miss sometimes just coming on and not having a million questions and DMs, but it's been great. The growth's been great. Um, as you can see from kind of the way I handle my account, I don't, I'm not, it's not like big headed or big time. I don't do like, oh, thanks for 20,000 followers. Like, it's just not my thing. I'm not really doing it for followers. I mean, it's great. I love the followers. I love the interaction. I've built some really good relationships now with journalists with connected people like yourself 
so I'm very happy for that. But yeah, the growth's been pretty crazy, and you know it's different for sure. But again, it's fun and I enjoy it. Mm. Is there? Because I'm sure like everyone gets criticism about things they do, and especially in the world of transfers, and it's an, it's an obvious and cliche term now in terms of football Twitter, but. ITK, you know, that's the instant thing that's thrown out when you don't have a verified tick on your Twitter account, you don't work for one of the mainstream publications, and you claim to have information, uh, it's instantly thrown at you with ITK. And I think that's a, a very relevant thing, because even now, you can find those people, right? They're very easy to find. I mean, how was striking that balance and sort of making clear that you're not just throwing stuff out there for the sake of it and, and trying to make a name for yourself when you actually do have legit info? Has that been fu- frustrating for you? Because even if you try and put the best info out there, there's always going to be those people who doubt you have relevant information. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely hard. Um, I think I've done, I'd like to say I've done a good job of it in terms of kind of staying down to earth and kind of grounded. I am obviously a little bit older than some of the people on that. Not that old, by the way. I've had a few 30 or 40 year old shouts. It's not that old. Um, but because maybe being older and more experienced, and I've been in the game for a long time, like, you know, I played it obviously pro back home and then coached a long time. I kind of get that. In terms of football Twitter, yeah, the balance is definitely hard. Um, but luckily with the transfer window, hence the growth, I was pretty accurate with it and I wasn't just throwing things out there for the sake of it. Um, you know, you do get a lot more information than you share. I think everybody who's connected will tell you that. We do know a lot more than especially the journalists in this world, the Matt Laws and them guys. They know more than they let on and rightfully so. So, you know, it's kind of picking and choosing what to share, what not to. And, you know, you're going to get some wrong. Even the they call him the GOAT, right? Fabrizio Romano, like he's the GOAT and he gets things, everyone gets things wrong. Um, it's transfers, it's team news, it changes. But yeah, the balance has been tough. But maybe because I'm a little bit older and a bit more grounded, it's been kind of easy to um, to balance it. And I always kind of used to say back in the day, I never blocked anybody or muted anybody. Since this account changed, I've definitely had to do that a couple of times just because, you know, people get excited and it's easy to kind of hide behind an AV and do that. But for the most part, it's been very positive and great, to be honest. I think sort of the balance that you, you could have there and also the honesty if you get something wrong. I mean, I, I think that the, the problem nowadays with a lot of things, if you get something wrong, you'll see people sort of hide away from it or deny it ever happened or double down. I think, you know, the honesty of you, if you get something wrong, you're very quick to say so and say, you know, I was wrong on this one, but, you know, we move on. And I think that will give you credibility to people who follow your account. You know, not, you're not just going out there and rejecting any information that disputes what you say. I've seen many accounts try and claim they've got transfer news. It doesn't come to fruition, but they don't say anything about it or they start having a go at people. I think you've, you act in sort of the right way, to, I think, to give you, give you credibility. In relation to Chelsea, and, um, you know, this very much connects to the amazing transfer window, the start of the season. Um, I don't know if it's harsh to say, like, a mediocre start to the season. I feel that's harsh because it has been a very frantic and unique start to any Premier League season I think we've ever seen and all teams are struggling with different issues. Um, what has surprised you most about Frank Lampard's team so far this season? Because there were big expectations going into it. What's well, a good question. That surprised me the most would probably be, um, I would say how many goals we've conceded. I knew we'd concede goals. Um, I didn't realise maybe how many we concede. I'd say that's the biggest surprise. I'm not surprised by many things that people are surprised about. I'm not surprised it's taken a while for the attacking players to get settled down. I'm not surprised we've changed formation three, four times. I kind of knew that Lampard would do that. Um, so maybe not the obvious things. Um, I, I maybe you can say that conceding goals is obvious, but the amount we've conceded, you know, six in to West Brom and Southampton is a bit mental. 
to be honest. So that's been my biggest surprise. But in terms of the other stuff that people were surprised about, maybe not as much because it is a new team and so many signings and it's not FIFA, it's not Football Manager. Um, you know, it takes time. Chemistry is a real thing. Connections are a real thing. Kind of, you know, you see it now with, I hate to say it on this channel, but Sung and Kane, you know, they've just got this telepathic connection and that's hard to get. It takes time to get that. Lampard and Drogba kind of had the most goals connecting with that for a good, and it took a while to get that. So, how much do you think, and this is something that I think became relevant and has become relevant relevant in the opening weeks, is a lack of preseason, like especially for Chelsea, no preseason. I mean, as someone who you know has played in the game, you know, coaching in the game, how important is preseason? Because I feel like it's dismissed by a lot of people because the games aren't competitive. But based on what I've seen as a fan over the years, I think preseason matters more than people think it does, and I think you're seeing that this year. Would you agree? Another good question, buddy. You've done your homework. Yeah, definitely. Um, preseason is fundamental. It's huge. And people don't realise that who are not connected in the game. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, you know, it's the weeks where you're getting your fitness. Match fitness and match fitness are two different things and people don't realise that. Um, me and you can go for a jog, two-mile jog, three-mile jog, and we can get through it. <clears throat> Excuse me. But in terms of actually sprinting, stopping, changing direction, sprinting the left, coming back, that is very hard to do. And it's, it's two completely different things, which is why professionals are not rushed back. It takes time to rehabilitate and get yourself back. And in, the, in pre-season as well, it's where you work on your formations, your, your set pieces, defending set pieces, attacking set pieces, organisation from the back, playing out the back. All these key components of the game that you can't do in, and Lampard keeps saying it, right, real time. And people laugh at real time, but it's true. Um, he's working on it as you're going. So you're spending time working on still these key components and taking time away from preparing for the opponent. Whereas usually, if you already had a pre-season, that would all be done, and you'd just be focusing on the opponent. So it's huge, and I'm never going to jump on that bandwagon of, oh, we're still in pre-season. Yeah, we are still in pre-season, and it's a real thing. And it will take time. You've seen Man United last night. They've won 5-0. They're kind of settling down now. Liverpool and City are starting to kind of settle down now after rocky starts. You've seen the top of the table, Everton, Aston Villa's, they haven't had European football. They didn't play to the end of the season. They've had time. They haven't had internationals, many internationals as we have. They've had time to kind of settle down. So hugely fundamental. Preseason is so key. And it's it's a stand, it's a standpoint in coaches and players alike, for sure. Mm. As well, I think you talked about the balance of sort of dealing with set pieces and constructing set piece, sort of whether that's attacking or, you know, you're defending and getting that chemistry within the team is so important, especially for, I think, the way Lampard wants to play and with all these new attacking players. Um, I just wonder with this season how hectic it is and how congested it is. I mean, Chelsea in the last few weeks and moving on to next week, we've got, uh, it's, a, it's a long week of travelling this week. We've had Man United, Krasnodar and Burnley. And then I think we're back for Ren at home. And then we've got, I believe it's Sheffield United at home before the international break. Um, in terms of approaching an opponent, because I know how much tactical analysis is done at the top level now. I mean, it's so no team. I, I don't know if you were listening, obviously on the English commentary yesterday, uh, Glenn Holder said they Chelsea won't know a lot about Krasnodar. And I'm pretty sure that's not the case anymore. I mean, I don't know if you can give any insight. I'm pretty sure most coaches now know about teams, but that balance between tactical sort of insight and analysis of, of opponents, but also working on your own shape, it, it must be a difficult thing for a coach in the modern game to, to assess and get right. There's so many components of the game now that maybe weren't components back in the day because of technology, because of what's available to the coaches now. And like you say there, uh, Glenn Hoddle, love into pieces, legend of the game and, and, you know, a great person as well. But 
yeah, Lampard's watch games. He's he's done his homework on that on Krasnodar for sure. He knows more than people maybe assume he knows um, because of the te- technology that's available now. Um, in terms of the tactical stuff, yeah, the tactics are huge. I mean, for the football manager guys out there who play that game, like if you play it, the details in it are ridiculous, especially because the new ones coming out. And I'm a fan of it, by the way, just because I'm, maybe I'm a coach. There's things you can do on that game. That's just a game. So imagine what you can actually do on the training ground and the little decent, the little technicals and the little decencies that you can do to affect a game are huge. And Lampard's one of these coaches who is, who wants to be tactically fluent. He wants to be comfortable playing three or four different formations. It's the modern game. Now a lot of teams are doing it where they can switch mid game. Myself as a coach, I do it. Um, I traditionally start in a four, two, three, one. It's a very safe, easy formation to start with, as we've seen with Lampard, and he's been criticised for it. And then you can switch to whatever you need from that, whether it's a four-three-three, a three-five-two, a three-four-three. You can do that, and it's more popular now in today's game. So yeah, tactics are taken on a whole new level, and also the technology that gives you makes everything available has made the game go on to a whole different level tactically. And that's why um, one person that stands out is Bielsa tactically incredible and that's why his lead team done so well so far I think the, the thing you bring up about formation is relevant to my next question about Chelsea's formation and there's been so much debate around it this season so far unless I get it wrong I think we've seen three formations from Frank Lampard as you've suggested sometimes as we saw against Krasnodar within game when Frank makes a couple changes he sometimes switches to formation but generally we've seen the 4-2-3-1 the most we've seen a 3-4-3 against Man United and we've seen a 4-3-3 I believe twice this season both in second halves against West Brom and Krasnodar um it's a very big question and i you know the the answer you just laid out has said that there is fluidity within this you know it's not a a set thing you don't just go like on fifa you don't just go four two three one and that's the way i'm playing the whole time you can change things within game i I understand that but would you say in your opinion looking at the chelsea squad there is a best a best formation that frank could go with at the current time yeah it's hard um i mean everybody's gonna scream four three three now right but you have to remember that who that was against, the timing of the game, the Krasnodar were tired, spaces were open. But personally, if I had to choose one, I would say 4-3-3. However, that's going to, I said it on Twitter this morning to somebody, that's going to change depending on the opponent. Like if we played a 4-3-3 against United away, we could have got opened up um, because United are frightening on the break. They're lightning, as, as people saw yesterday. So it's always going to depend on the opponent um, and the tactics of that particular game. But as a, to answer your question and give you something, in general, I would go 4 3 3 just because of the players we have right now. The only concern would be the holding mid, um, if Conte can be trained to sit in there. If not, we have to sign somebody. People know who I want, or even get the guy back off on loan, Ambadou, who I rate as well. They can both coexist. But yeah, so I would say 4 3 3 will be our best formation going forward because of the players we have. We have the two traditional wingers. Uh, or even three or four, if you look at the subs, and then we have the three forwards who, you know, Werner can give us something different to Giroud can. Um, and when I say that the approach will change, the formation may not change, but the approach might. I say that because Werner up top wants balls in behind, he wants to use his pace. So a team that we're maybe dominating could be better for that. Maybe we play Giroud up top. If we're being pressed very effectively from the front, we need to go long we can have him hold up the ball and the two wingers and the eights can play off him if we're playing in a 4-3-3. So the formation may not change necessarily, but the approach and the tactic will. So that's why I say that Lampard can choose a formation, but maybe the approach will change. But yeah, I'm a 4-3-3 man. I think it's 
you know, a good formation or even a 4-2-3-1, which can turn into a 4-3-3 when you're attacking. So if I had to give you one, I would say that. But I think it will take time to get that 4-3-3 every game and we'll see it more because of um, relationships, building the players, um, kind of getting them connections and then that holding mid spot. I think we'll we'll go on to sort of the holding mid spot in terms of recruitment in that area and, and what the future of that area holds because it, it does seem to be the next sort of big target area for Chelsea in terms of transfers. But in terms of that balance, I mean, you look at the game against Burnley on Saturday and there's a belief, at least for me, when you're playing against Burnley, all right, you know that going up to Turf Moor, at least for the first 20 to 30 minutes, you're usually up for a game at Burnley. It's, it's, it's going to be difficult, but... In games where I think we're going to have a lot more of the ball and you expect Chelsea to control the game, I just wonder against a rigid 4-4-2 whether both Mount and Habits can find space where, say, in a 4-2-3-1 like last night where Cover and Georgie are sitting a little bit deeper and you've only really got Kai in there sort of trying to break the lines. Do you think having Mason in there as well would help in, in, a, in a game of that type? I know we, we spoke about Man United and games where teams are not just going to allow you the ball, but in games like Burnley, where you think we will be allowed a bit more of the ball, that could maybe work. Yeah, so you, against Burnley, if they play like a low block, as many people call it now, or they typically play to frustrate, you're going to need energy and you're going to need the ball move pretty quickly. That's something Mason does very well. Obviously, the energy is obvious, but he also gets the ball and moves it quickly which is a caveat of maybe a Jorginho or Kovacic. They hold on to the ball a little bit too much. Um, Jorginho, Jorginho has a great pass in him, and maybe he could be the key to unlock a Burnley. Um, but with Kovacic, who I actually rate, um, but he can be frustrating at times because he does the whole Pedro thing, right, where he gets the ball and does circles and just dribbles for the sake of it. That will be tough against a Burnley team because, one, they'll look to just smash him anyway. And, two, you know, the ball needs to be moved quickly. So in terms of what formation would work against that, I can see Lampard playing any of them. Um, I think the, the three at the back, the wing backs, would be the most less likely. But I can see if he did that. I don't think he will, by the way. But I would say that he could do it because it would give us wit, and that because Burnley are such a, a close circle as such. Given having wit will open up the game. I don't think he'll play it though. So maybe we could see the four-three-three. I personally think he's going to go four-two-three-one. I can see the double pivot happening again. I could just see it because it's safe, it's easy. Kind of analyze the game, see where we start, and then we could change. However, I would love it if we just kind of did went with four-three-three, go attacking, go at them, try and open up the spaces as quickly as possible. But it's all about trying to get Burnley out of their hole, um, and we're going to have to do that by switching the ball quickly by getting energy in the box, moving the ball quickly in the final third and getting a goal up as early as possible, ideally. Um, so you need players who can do that, as you say, like the mouths and the habits. I, I think the argument you can make to keep Georgie in this team and to stick to the 4-2-3-1 is watch the Crystal Palace game a few weeks back again, you know, against a low block. Or right, The first half was a little bit you know, passive and, and sort of pedestrian, but you expect that against Crystal Palace. But eventually we opened them up. You know, I think Jorginho had a very good game that day and it showed when he's up against that type of opposition, he actually can excel. So, I mean, I wouldn't be gutted if Jorginho's... I mean, Jorginho's probably been one of our better players so far this season by you know, the Jorginho debate, the Kante debate. These things have been, you know, worn out and we, we spoke a lot about the, the pros and cons. I think Lampard just needs to... I don't know about tactical... You, you speak about tactical flexibility and sort of formations. I think a criticism that has been aimed at Lampard is a lack of clear identity. Do yeah. you think the shifting in formations is hampering any sort of chance of sort of... Um, settling or, or sort of growing a clear identity 
Yeah, it is. Um, but there's a reason for it. Lampard is switching formations because everybody's not 100% fit yet. Um, we're getting there now. Um, also because relationships haven't been established yet. I think the only real relationship you can really look at, uh, the obvious one would be maybe Werner and Havertz. They have a clear understanding because they play together in a national team. But apart from that, everyone else is still kind of building relationships. Obviously, Zuma and Silva are coming along nicely now and Chilwell and Pulisic will hopefully get one in the end and James and maybe Ziyech. Uh, they're all great off the field. So you can see the love off the field and that's the relationships building and people underestimate how important that is. Like you've got to want to play with your team. You've got to want to be, you know, you've got to have friends in the dressing room. So I think the more that happens, the less we'll maybe see um, the fluency, the fluency maybe of formations. I think Lampard, I think it's clear if you've watched Lampard's teams in the past and kind of listened to what Lampard wants, he wants to play an attacking team, a high-pressing team. Many have said that he's basically copying, copying the Liverpool system, which, by the way, that is coaching, that's football. Everybody finds a system, people copy it, and then the next system comes along. Uh, Conte bought a system, people copied it, nullified it. It worked to start. In the end, it didn't because everybody started doing it. Next cycle, then it's Pep Guardiola's, then it's going to be Bielsa's. That's kind of how football works. So I think the more we see relationships, the more people get fit, and the more consistency in terms of fitness so we can start the same team every time, the less we'll see change of formation, the more we'll see Lampard's true identity of his team, which will be a higher pressing team, win the ball back as high as possible, get the ball up the field as quick as possible, and try and score goals whilst remaining defensively solid with that holding mid and the two eights going ahead. I think we, we've seen that sort of chemistry most in the in the past weeks of, you know, defensively having Edward Mendy there has changed so much about Chelsea in defence. Um, having Silver and Rudiger and Dave and Chirwell and, you know, filling in James there as well, in, sometimes in a back three uh, as him as a wing back has, has really helped. And I think that was the issue last season. And sometimes it wasn't down to Lampard just selecting. Sometimes he had a lot of injury problems, so he had to change things. But as you said, hopefully fitness will be, will have more luck in terms of fitness because I think that will obviously benefit the relationship and the chemistry and consistency in teams. We spoke about DM. Um, so going on to transfers rather than the players we have already, I think I've obviously got to bring up Declan Rice, who is seems to be the clear number one choice at the moment. Um, it feels a lot like the Ben Shearwell situation to me, just based on what I've read, either from you or from Simon Johnson or you know other people as well talking about Declan him sort of being the long-term choice. I mean, is there any budging on this or is this something Chelsea are going to pursue in, in terms of getting Declan Rice? Yeah, so he's oh, he's Frank's number one choice by far. Frank rates him as a player, um, really likes what he can bring to the team. Um, the added bonuses, as people know, and it's not a reason to sign him, I'll make that clear, but it is an added bonus that he is a Chelsea boy, a Chelsea fan, playing at the Chelsea Academy. He's he's played in the Premier League for a long time. He knows the Premier League. But he's made over 100 appearances or 100 starts, whatever it was, you know, at such a young age. So the way he would fit in, like Chilwell, you know, he's just seamlessly come in and he's he looks like he's been at Chelsea for years and he suits the system. And Declan would be the same. He would suit the system pretty quickly and he'd know his surroundings and the league very well. So he's a clear number one choice. The board want to back Lampard. You know, the board want to give him rice because they're all about giving Lampard now his first choice uh, signings, as we've seen now with Havertz, Werner, etc. So he's a clear number one. However, the only caveat is the price. And Lampard is not spending the money, right? If you ask Lampard, he'll he'll spend 200 million if he has to, to get, you know, Declan. But the board are obviously very good, a little bit wary of spending so much money on a player who, 
you know, was in our academy before. We spent so much money already. We're not selling as many players as we want. So there's so many factors and and tendencies that come into it, tangible things, you know, that can stop or start a transfer, which people don't realize. It's not as simple as, okay, bid, in, sign. There's so many things. And we saw the reason that Declan didn't sign is because we couldn't get someone out. That was the only reason we didn't sign Declan Rice. It was being pushed. People wanted it. Um, He is the obvious number one, but... Other players, I'm sure you're going to ask this question anyway, but I'll quickly do a quick one before you ask it. There are other players have been scouted and looked at, for sure. Mm. Are those two players, or at least two of those players, uh, number one, Dennis Zakaria from Borussia Mönchengladbach. I spoke about him on the channel last week. Um, interesting player because he's not your typical DM in a sense. You know, he's quite a versatile player. He can potentially be a box-to-box type midfielder too. Um, and I think that's very, you know, yeah, relevant in the modern game of, of seeing more versatile players now who can play in a variety of positions. That seems to be sort of a trend now across a lot of top players that you go and recruit. And, and Chelsea, I think that was very relevant to Chelsea's recruitment this summer in terms of attacking players. Um, Samara, I think, from Lille was one that was touted as far back as like pre-Christmas last year. Um, the thing I want to ask you, though, in terms of those other options, in terms of transfers, is... Could Chelsea find the answer internally? What I mean by that is Billy Gilmore or recalling Ethan Ampadu. Because to me, those are two options there where I think, all right, I understand Chelsea want their first choice target and I'm happy with the board backing Lampard. But we may have two brilliant answers here. Um, could, can you see that line of thinking? And do you think that could potentially happen? Definitely see the line of thinking. I'm a big fan of both the players you just mentioned. Um you know, Ampadu, I think the club right now see Ampadu as more of a centre-back as of right now. Um, I know he's played there recently for Wales and he does a great job. And he's actually just played there for Sheffield United and, and done a good job. So maybe Chelsea are looking at that now. Um, but it's early days. Uh, but yeah, they definitely, by the way, Chelsea rate Ampadu. Like he, they want him to be a long-term uh, member of the squad going forward. And they also very much rate Billy Gilmore. Frank Lampard's a huge fan of Billy. That's common knowledge. Um Billy has a, an ability to do a lot of things. He can tackle, he can play a long ball, he's box-to-box, he's tenacious. So he's a, he would be another kind of eight, you know, as box-to-box kind of do both. He also has the ability to pick a pass um, and he can hold if he's coached correctly. He is young, which typically means they're easier to coach when they're young and fresh. They're kind of easier, they take more information on. So if he could be coached to be a holding mid, then he's definitely a great option. And then Ampadu's giving you that option now of being a holding mid, but kind of maybe seen as more of a centre-back. So them two will definitely have their chances, They'll def- especially under Frank. They'll have their chances to kind of be a member of the squad and maybe be that missing piece um, that we need. Uh, unless, you know, you, you're going to go with a drastic change of maybe training Kante to really be a holding mid. I don't know if you can do it. He's been doing what he does typically the box-to-box search and destroy for so long, so well. So could he do it? Being a little bit older, I'm not sure. Um, but there's, it's, we're talking about options, right, which is great. We're not talking about the back of Yoko's and the drink waters of this world anymore. We're talking about top-class players and even academy products coming through. So we're very lucky to do that. Um, but I do think that not January. I don't think anything's going to happen in January. Again, I'm not saying it will. <laughs> I'm going to be clear here before I get, you know, having to do another one. But I don't think we'll see anything happen in January as such. I don't think Abadou's coming back off loan. Many people have asked. I don't see us signing Declan in January. Uh, but the summer will be very interesting. And yeah, the Sicarios, as you said, and the Samores of Lille, they've been looked at. They've been scouted for sure. And even Partey, you know, Partey was a late option for us. And if we wanted him, we could have got him. Let's just say that. But in the end, 
Declan's always been a number one. But yeah, we definitely have options for sure. There is. Uh, my only concern with, I guess you could throw Gilmore in the same boat, but I think the fact Gilmore's currently at Chelsea and has played under Lampard, I think obviously he's always going to give you a better chance than Ampadu, who hasn't played for Lampard yet. And football's a crazy game. I'm sure, you know, we all know this, right? And a lot can change. And uh, right, I'm not, I don't, you know, know what the thinking of the Chelsea board is, as you've just stated. But I just concern with Ampadu that if Chelsea go out and spend a lot of money on Declan Rice, um, with the way he's rated, the fact that he's constantly playing for Wales, even like last season when he was barely playing for Leipzig, he was still getting in that Wales side. Rangier clearly rates him highly. Um, do you fear we could be losing a, a very good talent early, potentially? Because he, like Lamptey, could look at the situation and think, I just, I, why don't I move now? Because I'm not going to get the chance at Chelsea. Is there a risk there? Yeah, definitely. I mean, Amadou, yeah, there is, there's definitely a risk because Amadou is in the same respect as Tarek Lamptey, as you said there, he's a confident individual. He rates himself. He rates his ability. He, he knows he can play at the Premier League level. He's He was an absolute superstar. I wrote an article for Breaking the Lines a long time ago, three, four years ago, like a real deep interview uh, kind of analysis on Ampadu and kind of his background. He's been coached by his dad for a long time. I know for people who know his dad, he was a great coach at Arsenal back in the day, and obviously Exeter. Ampadu's always been a superstar. He's always played two, three years up, He's always been the best player on the field. You know, he's a confident and he comes from a footballing family. So he's a very confident guy. He rates himself and knows he can play. So he can look at this and be, well, if I'm not going to play at Chelsea, you know, which again, it's like Callum, Hudson-Odoi, it's like other people. Their dream is to play for Chelsea. Let's not get this wrong. Like, I, in an ideal world, they want to stay and play. But the way football is now, player power, agents, stuff like that, it's very easy for these players to say, you know what, I'm not going to make it. I'm going to go elsewhere. And there's definitely a risk with Ampadu because he, he's not naive. He's fully aware of the game. He has his dad backing him, his agent backing him. So he could definitely move on. But we're just going to hope that, you know, he's being given assurances by Chelsea that he'll get a chance. And Lampard, you know, which Lampard's very good at. He's a very good man manager. I've heard that from many people. He's very good at arm around the shoulder when needed. And he's also good at giving a kick up, kick up someone's arse if they need it. So hopefully we don't lose Ampadu and we don't see another episode of kind of the Kevin De Bruyne's and the Lukaku's that people like to reference now but you know like you said there Daniel and, and you're spot on a lot of things can change within between now and six months a lot of things can change I think even by Christmas as we bring up you know Gilmore who I believe is what two or three weeks now away from returning yeah. um, I mean you always have to give that time with injuries especially an injury where he's been out for this amount of time where you can't just expect him to walk back into the first team. And, and as we said way back, you know, you, you were talking about fitness and player pre-season and him not having a pre-season. And I'm sure at the start of injuries, players have to train individually, don't they? So he'll be away from the group, I'm sure. And, and then you need to reintegrate into the group. But I think that Gilmore, at some point in this season, if he doesn't go out alone, say, in, in January... I think he could be that lone DM. Do you think Frank will do what he did last season? Because to me, when Gilmore played as that lone DM um, against Liverpool and Everton, he looked absolutely wonderful in that area and was adding everything we sort of hoped from a player in, in that system. Could you see that happen? Yeah, I do. I, I think, cause like I said earlier, Lampard rates him. Um, as long as he's, like you say, excuse me, as long as his um, fitness is is returning adequately, no problems there. Because you've got to realise how, how difficult that is um, to kind of get your match fitness back. It's going to take longer. So people were saying like, and it's, you're right, two, three weeks is when he'll be back fit. But then he's got to, like you say, he's got to get tactically, he's got to get back in the group and get tactically ready. He's got to kind of, they've got to decide where he's going to play. But 
yeah, I can definitely see him being used in that holding mid, especially if we change the system permanently as we look to do to four three three. Um, I can definitely see it because of his performance last year against Liverpool, which was fantastic, and like you say, Everton as well. Um, so definitely can see it. It's just going to take a little bit of time to really get one the match sharpness and the match fitness back, but also maybe even more importantly the tactical side of it, making sure that he understands his role, making sure he knows that he can't be kind of flying around and smashing people because. You know, he's a little Scotsman. He does love a tackle and he loves, he is search and destroy it kind of naturally. So kind of making him understand that he'll have to sit in there and do that um, will take a little bit of time as well. You've got to be patient with these young kids. You know, he's still stepping up to the level, but he's definitely got all the tools to do it. And he's a very liked kid around the, the, the place. You know, he's very close with a lot of players now in the first team, even though he is quiet. He's kind of coming out of his show a lot more than I've heard. And Lampard rates him. So yeah, he's definitely got a chance for sure. And it's very exciting. I want to see him for sure. Sorry to put you under this amount of pressure, but in a year's time, say, all the players we just spoke about, potential solutions to that problem, who's the DM? Let's say Frank is playing a 4-3-3 and he's found his solution. Who is that solution? Anybody or someone already in the club? Just the people we've, I guess, you know, in relation to, will it be someone we buy? Will it be internally? What would you say, in your opinion, in, say, a year's time? I know it's very difficult, but... I'm gonna I'm gonna say Declan Rice. I think we're gonna get him. I think we're gonna get him, and I think he's gonna play in in that role. By the way, you know he's also rated as a centre back, and Lampard that's something that Lampard likes that he can play both. Um, but if I was a betting man, not too much money maybe, but a little bit, I'd probably say Declan in a year's time will be our holding mid, and then hopefully you know an Ampadu or a Gilmore will be right there competing with him for sure. And then maybe I hope I maybe see Kante moving on, but Again, long time away, not not too sure. But yeah, if I was a better man, I'd go right in a year's time. I think, to me, it feels like an inevitable move at the moment. And also, Jorginho, I mean, I, I expect Jorginho will be off next summer, maybe. And Chelsea yeah. will be getting a decent fee for him. So that opens up space in a congested area. And as we've constantly stated here, football changes so quickly. And for all of these players... In terms of injuries, in terms of form, in terms of the form of Chelsea, you don't know where we're going to be in two weeks time let alone a year's time so it's, it's hard to know before we wrap up just want to ask you sort of your expectations and hopes for the rest of Chelsea season because we're sort of getting into that bulk of, of the season now that's so important all right we started a month later but it's it's a it's a congested time of the year we get into winter it is, it's always difficult and always so crucial what do you expect for Chelsea in terms of Premier League Champions League FA Cup you know your, your sort of hopes for the rest of the season yeah, so before the season, I'll kind of go there and I'll kind of go from what I've seen now. I think before the season, I said we'd probably come third. Uh, I wouldn't be overly surprised by fourth in the in the Premier League, as I'll see before the season started. And now we've seen that, you know, surprisingly, Arsenal were looking a little bit sharp. They've kind of dropped off a little bit more recently, but they've had moments where they've looked very sharp. I think Tottenham, unfortunately, are definitely here to compete this year. I think they're looking a lot more solid under Mourinho in, in his second season, which is typically typically a traditional thing with Mourinho. So I think they're going to be up there as well. And again, United look sharp. Um, so I think Chelsea will find themselves around the third and fourth. The thing, with, the positive thing about Chelsea is when we're going in the attacking sense, I think we're hard to stop. I think we could probably score against anyone. Uh, now it's just all going to be about the defence. But obviously Mendy's come in and made a huge, huge difference. So I'm pretty confident that if we can keep going on the way we're going, we are going to lock up hopefully that third spot. Um, but again, the league can change. Anything can happen. In terms of Champions League, I think we'll progress through the group. I think we'll win the group. Uh, I'm confident we'll win the group. I think Lampard's learning that tactical now that you need to have in Europe. 
you know, clean sheets are fundamental in Europe, kind of playing away, playing at home. I know times have changed now with fans, but he's kind of, he seems to be switched on. He's kind of seems to be learning more and more, which he is learning, by the way. He's learning on the job. He's still a new manager, but, you know, if anybody's got the respect and the work rate to get it right, it'll be him. So I'd like to see us win the group. And then from there, it's hard to predict, right, because you don't know what draw you're going to get. Are you going to get Bayern straight off the bat? You know, are you going to get a random country? You just don't know. So I would like us, if I expectations, I would like us to get to at least the quarterfinals, at least. Um, I think, obviously, depending on the draw, could we go semifinals for sure? Europe's a funny game, as we saw in 2012, right? It's a funny game. You can go all the way one year. Tottenham obviously made it to the final a couple of years and they never should have. So FA Cup, I think we'd like to go one better, right, and win it. We typically do well in the FA Cup. We were unlucky not to win it last year. I, thought, I think a lot of things went against us. Won't talk about the referee or anything like that, but... So, in overall, I think, you know, the more we see these relationships build, the more we see Lampard find his shape, find his formation and find his game, I think we'll kind of go on and up. Just got so much talent. We've got so much talent that we would be stupid not to. Uh, and I think Lampard's the man to do that, to take us down. Fully Lampard in for that. So, uh, just to clarify, it would probably be third place in Premier League, maybe fourth. I don't see us coming any lower than that, hopefully. Um, I'm pretty confident with that. And the FA Cup, I'd like to see us win it. Uh, at least, or at least get to the final, right? Because anything can happen in the final. At least give us a chance. And then Champions League, at least make the quarterfinals, hopefully go further. I think I'm pretty much the same on that. And I think majority of opinions I've seen about Chelsea this season, I think, you know, that's the same. And, and sometimes you don't want to sort of be influenced just by what's going on week by week based on your pre-season expectations. I think it's always healthier. Like last season was a great example for me of when I think about what I predicted before the season started, it really helped me in some of those difficult moments last season to really get perspective on what was actually going on. And, and I think that's the same this year. But hopefully, I think FA Cup for me is is the big game because it'd be lovely to see Frank with a piece of silverware at Chelsea and it'd feel like progress along with the Champions League and Premier League. But thank you so much, Dan, for coming on the channel. Great, insightful discussion in terms of tactics, in terms of transfers. As I do with all my guests, I want to give you the chance now, mate, to uh, shout and, and promote where people can find your work online. Yeah, appreciate it, buddy. Uh, just find me on Macca Sport, so M-A-C-C-A Sport. Uh, you'll find me on Twitter. Uh, I'm trying to be more active than maybe I was before, trying to kind of do a little bit of different stuff uh, because I don't want to be known as one kind of thing, as I've said before, kind of trying to do different things, you know, um, videos and stuff like that. Um, trying to bring something different to the platform, maybe from a coaching's point and maybe more of a tactical point. So, yeah, you can definitely find me there doing a bunch of different things and coming soon, hopefully, a little collab with... Simon and other guys coming forward so it should be fun no worries and all the links to Dan's work will be in the description box below but thank you guys so much for taking the time to watch this video if you did enjoy it hit that subscribe button and a notification bell so you never miss an upload rate and review if you're listening on the podcast follow me on twitter at son of chelsea and I'll see you again